History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. If you hear a historical story, and at the end you feel thoroughly satisfied by it, and find that it perfectly coincides with your own political inclinations, it probably means that you're actually listening to ideology or mythology. History won't oblige us, and much of its challenge and interest come from its immovable differentness from us and from our own world. So what we have to do is to approach it as calmly as possible. It's our three of our Tuesday morning, the 6th of February, 2024. Richmond Transmission and Auto Service bringing you this hour of the show, which on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock brings us Dave Does History. Dave Bowman has been with us throughout the morning. This hour, we basically turn over to Dave as uh, he brings us looks at history that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I don't care where you were educated or how much you think your education is. Dave Bowman brings a perspective on history that this audience has come to enjoy, and so do I every week. Dave Bowman, good to have you along. It's been fun this morning, man. Thank you. Yeah, we've had a good time. And we didn't even get to the good stuff. No, we didn't. So we've got some of that tomorrow. We may bring you back tomorrow. <sighs> that subject could be uh, near and dear to your heart. So <laughs> yeah, if we get it going. Yeah, I know. And and again, with the free speech elements thereof, and it, I, I may my goal would be to put you in conflict. That that would be my goal. Well, that's not hard to do, though, Bill. <laughs> You're kind of conflicted I'm, already. I'm a conflicted guy, yeah. Headline at BillMick.com is robot racism. If you don't know what that's about, you missed our first hour. But you can always pick it up, like you can everything else on the show, in the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. We'll get to your calls a little bit later in the hour in our final segment as uh, they relate to what Dave is bringing us with Dave Does History. Dave, we gave folks a highlight in our first hour. Well, for those who are just joining us, what are we getting into here today? So I have this philosophy of history, and I've talked about this in the past a little bit, but it seemed particularly appropriate today given the subject matter, which is a, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Paine. Now, most Americans have heard that name, Mm-hmm. They know he had something to do with the American Revolution. They might know that he wrote the famous pamphlet, Common Sense, which, of course, we've talked about on this show, where we talked about how common sense influenced the American Revolution, mm-hmm. the Declaration of Independence, and those sorts of things. But but what do people know about Thomas Paine? And it's c- very little. Well, that's that's unfortunately the truth, and it comes back to this this philosophy that i have which is this idea that history is really about the future what i mean by that is if you can't take the past and move forward with it what can i learn from this that will change my day today and the future of tomorrow if i can't do that with it of what value is it to me And I think that Thomas Paine is a great example of this because Thomas Paine speaks to something that you and I have talked about many, many times. The the so-called ideological purity test. How many Mm -hmm. on on a scale of one to five, how many Ron Pauls are you? Are you one Ron Paul? Are you four (laughs) Ron Pauls? If you're not five, you're not good enough. Exactly. If you're not five Ron Pauls, you're not really a libertarian. Right, and it becomes the mindset, and, and the other parties do it too. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, Republicans do it. Democrats, you know, we certainly see that in in, in uh, woke type policies. You know, if you're not if you're not woke enough, then you 
you get booted out. Right. Thomas Paine is a great example of that because he is going to go from revolutionary hero to questionable hero to once again a revolutionary quasi-hero to let's get this guy the hell out of here before he starts another revolution. Day back at it. So Thomas Paine is born in in England. He's actually born in a little place called Thetford, England, in case you ever go there, in the year 1737, which you'll notice long before the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. He is very, I don't want to say he's poor, but his father is a Quaker, his mother is an Anglican, so he's already you know, dealing with a confused background there, if you know anything about English religious history. Anglicans and Quakers, you're going to grow up in a in a strange world at that point. Mm-hmm. He's very poor, majorly uh, modest, I guess, is more more to the point. He gets a basic education, but he's largely self-taught, develops a lifelong love for knowledge, and he's one of these guys that has a lot of different career goals. He's He's a lot like a radio talk show host, and then he can't really decide exactly what he wants to be in life. Mm-hmm. So he tries a whole bunch of things. In his early life, he's, 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 he's actually a privateer at one point, which is a privateer is actually a legal pirate. Is that a good way to put it? It's not really, like the, that. it's not the best translation of the word, but essentially a privateer is someone you know commissioned by the crown to go out and attack enemy ships, even though they're not technically in the Navy. So you get a letter of mark and reprisal, which mm-hmm. is actually in the constitution that we have. Yeah. Can be issued. So he goes out and does that. Uh, not very successful at that. He tries being a tax official. That doesn't work out really well. The one thing that people really know about him, and I don't know if they're making fun of him or not, but he actually ends up as a corset maker at one point. Corsets are those, uh, undergarments that females wore, particularly in the 1700s, that were designed to enhance the figure. But if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, you know that they're not easy to get into. It was basically Thomas's secret. In essence, yes. Okay, we'll go with that. Although you'll be happy to know that he was uh, not very successful in that. So That's too bad. (laughs) There's a great political cartoon about him. Uh, later on in his life, showing him as a corset maker. Mm -hmm. And of course, the thing you need to understand about corset making, and this is a complete aside, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, which which is that getting a woman into a corset is not as um, interesting or titillating as you might think it would be. Well, and that's why all of the the ladies of means in those days had like five attendants to help get them into those things, right? Right, Like I said, there's a great scene in the movie Titanic where we're... Rose is trying to get into a corset and, and that's just, you know, that one is just fantasy. The the real work had to be, I mean, he's got his foot on her butt and he's pulling the straps and (laughs) it's, it's a great cartoon. Anyway, he does all this stuff. None of it really works, but in, uh, in 1774, Thomas Paine moves to America, to the new world, to the colonies as they were known at that point. And it's here that he begins to become a writer. It's here that he begins to start thinking about the political elements that are influencing things. But remember, by this time, we're already after the 
the Boston Massacre. We're already after the Tea Party. We're after the Intolerable Acts. We're after all of those things. And here's a man who has just come from England, but raised in a manner that was, you know, contrary to this idea that that most Englishmen would have had. And he clearly has developed this view that the monarchy isn't just bad. The monarchy is, in his views, unnatural. The idea that one man or one family can rule over millions of people to him is just, it, 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 it's so far beyond what should normally be that he has what is known as, he becomes essentially what is known as a dis- disestablishmentarianist, someone who wants to get rid of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, now that he lives in America, he thinks and actually writes the idea that a, that a king can rule an island makes sense because an island is tiny. But the idea that an island can rule a continent is wackadoodle. It's crazy. And it shouldn't be allowed to happen. And of course, he starts talking about these things and he starts writing about these things. And this kind of gets him some attention, some notice. And of course, in this era, when there's a lot of friction between the patriot movement and the the loyalist movement, the, the, the monarchy, it's not all that unusual. There's nothing about him at this point that makes him, you know, stand out in a way that, that anyone else does. And in fact, in some ways, Bill, you might see him as your, you know, we were talking about Rush Limbaugh earlier. So you got Rush Limbaugh and then you got all us, all of us, the rest of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. He might, he might be in that the rest of us category. He's just sort of, he's going along with it. He agrees with it, but nothing in him. But he's not rubbing shoulders with no. with the other founding fathers yet. No, he's not. He's he's not rubbing shoulders. He's not moving in those circles. But he has some thinking that is really outside the box that that nobody has really picked up on yet. And of course, when the when the Revolutionary War starts, he joins the army, and he actually ends up at Valley Forge. Oh wow! And that is where he really begins to start his mission, which will change the course of history. That's going to be fun to follow up on. Dave Bowman with us as we take a look at Thomas Paine in this hour. The program ends up at Valley Forge with George Washington. And that was not a pleasant place to be, Dave. Really? We get into that and more as we look at Thomas Paine in this hour of Dave Does History on Bill McLive. We'll let you in on it, our final segment. Don't forget our podcast if you miss anything we're doing. Always a good day for that when Dave joins us for this look at history weekly on Bill McLive. Weekly dive into history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Mick Live. Richmond Transmission and Auto Service bringing you the hour. We'll get to your calls coming up in our final segment of our day today as we're discussing Thomas Paine, his impact on the revolution, the revolution's impact on him, I guess, coming up as well, Dave, is he's had a 
up and down life a little bit. Where are we at now? Well, pain is, again, as I said before, he's a great example of ideological purity tests. And I guess the lesson that I want people to take from him is that things go in cycles. And just because you agree with somebody on one thing doesn't mean you'll agree with them on everything. But does that mean that you should cut off everything with them? Today's politics kind of teaches us that that's what we do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We see but that uh, again. Reality. Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah. We, we see that particularly with the libertarian, you know, as we were saying in the first hour, how many Ron Pauls are you rated? And if you're not yeah. rated enough Ron Pauls, you don't get to be whatever. But, but the bottom line is that all of all politics do this. All people do this. We all judge things this way. And we find ourselves in these situations where we're not learning the real lesson of this, which is a person's value isn't based on a single moment in time. Thomas Paine finds himself at Valley Forge in that that terrible winter, just unbelievably bad winter. When most of the soldiers are starving, they're trying to find something to eat. Washington is trying to figure out how to keep his troops motivated. He's doing things like putting on uh, plays. We've talked about that, the Cato play, Cato the tragedy before. But Thomas Paine is running around the camp and he's gathering up every scrap of paper that he can find. And every opportunity that he gets, he sits down and he's writing. And nobody really, you know, they kind of look at him like, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm writing something. And as he writes this thing that will become common sense, he leans a little bit on Washington, who he really regards with high esteem. And so they actually, actually met, and then oh, he yeah. had time oh, yeah. with Washington. Okay. Washington will actually have common sense read to the troops at Valley Forge as a motivational effort, and it's highly successful. If you've ever read Common Sense, Common Sense is one of those things that if you read it with with good um, attention, I suppose, you'll find yourself, as one of my producers once said, ready to go out and run through a wall, because that's how mm-hmm. motivated you will be. You will you will just want to get up and 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 take over the world because it's it's it is that motivated and of course it is common sense that will become the best selling booklet in the history of America and it will heavily influence the Continental Congress as they dis- debate declaring independence we again we've talked about this to some extent but it is that and he called it the American crisis he didn't call it common sense but it, it it flows from his hatred of the monarchy, this idea that one man can rule over other people. And over time, Paine will become familiar with Washington. Again, he holds Washington in the highest of esteem. He almost worships George Washington because he sees George Washington as the embodiment of all these ideals that he has. But of course, history has its strange courses. And you don't hear much about Thomas Paine after the after the publishing of Common Sense, but that's our own fault because he would continue to write, just not the things that we necessarily wanted to read. So 
an inspiration to the troops at Valley Forge, which had to be a tough, tough thing to be anyway, given the conditions they were in. And then they proceed out of there. And where do they go, Dave? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, Bill, but I've, I've been hit with this in my past. How can you, Dave, believe this? The one that I get most often is, how can you not be a Christian but be a conservative chat show host? How can you feel this way about this subject and still be a conservative chat show host? I, I'm still stumbling by the Christian question because certainly not everybody who's a conservative is of a, is of a Christian mindset. The faiths will be different or non-existent in some people. But there's a mindset that says you're this, therefore you must believe this. Yeah. Okay. And that you. exists across everything. Sure. I, I have been told if you don't vote for Joe Biden, remember? Right. Well, I mean, let's go back to the 1990s. I was a boys and girls club director in, in Metro Atlanta, and I was told by a person, "You sent my child home from camp because white people hate black kids, and you hated my kid, and so you sent him home from camp." Well, I was the only white guy there. But number two, I sent your kid home because he stabbed another kid in the head with a fork. So, you know, I mean, we can. There, there is a reason here. There, yeah. There's reasons here. But we don't want to see those necessarily. How can you be this if you're that? Well, Thomas Paine falls into that category. When we have this vision of the American Revolution, we, we have something that is very religious oriented in many cases. We have this expectation of American patriots being very firm in their faith. And Thomas Paine was none of that. He was a deist. He despised much of the organized religion that was going on. He advocated for free thought and free reason. He did not, um, he did not toe the line when it came to those things. And this began to uh, irritate, I guess, you know, you know how you have everybody has that one friend in their life that you're you're good friends, but boy, we just got to stay off that topic because it's going to be interest. It's going to be an argument. And Thomas mm-hmm. Paine is that guy. He really kind of pushes these things theologically. He pushes these things uh, problematically, and he sort of falls out of favor with what you could call, I guess, revolutionary America. And his ideas, we appreciate your common sense thing. But the rest of it is sort of, you know, you're going too far. You're saying things we don't like. You're saying things we don't want to hear because they don't fit the agenda for that, if you can go that direction with it. And Thomas Paine really falls out of favor with American thinking. As Washington becomes president, it becomes even worse. He's really starting to lose faith in Washington. He's starting to lose faith in the, the American failure to live up to his principles of idea of, of liberty and that sort of thing. And so he boards the a ship. rebellion have anything to do with that? I'm sorry? The Whiskey Rebellion have anything to do Not with that? Not really, no. Oh, okay. But he, he, he boards a ship, Bill, and he goes in the late 1790s, he goes to France. That would be revolutionary France. Mm-hmm. which is all about egalitarianism and liberty. And he thinks his ideas will be accepted here because, you know, he's all about liberty and he's all about freedom and he's all about those things. And so he's excited to go to France 
but it doesn't work out very well for him. We'll talk about that. We'll get to your calls in our final segment of our day, looking at the uh, the rise and fall, maybe the eventual rise and fall again at Thomas Paine. Dave Bowman with Dave Does History on Bill McLeod. 321-768-1240 if you want in. Get them in now. We'll get you lined up. joins us for our weekly dive into history. Pay attention, there will be a test. No, there won't be a test, but you will be held accountable. Bill Mick Live. Thanks, Victor Lyle. 321-768-1240. If you have questions or comments for Dave with our uh, Thomas Paine edition of Dave Does History. Dave, before we get to those phones. Um, so he leaves and goes to France, wants to become part of the French Revolution, and he thinks his ideas are going to mesh in over there. How'd that work out for He him? gets over there. He actually writes another book called The Rights of Man, which supports the French Revolution, which, you know, here in America, the French Revolution is seen really, there's a divisive, it, it's a very divisive issue here in America. Do we, do we support our French allies and their concept of liberty, or do we oppose the idea of these French people who are chopping the heads off people who are not ideologically pure enough for them? Mm-hmm. via the guillotine, including at one point they arrest Thomas Paine and he is under threat of guillotine. Now he doesn't actually get guillotine. He ends up coming back to America because the French don't like him either now. So go back, go back where you came from. So he goes back to America where of course he's not accepted because of his views on religion, which I, I know. To, didn't, didn't we have a whole religious freedom thing going on when we came here to start with? Well, remember though, Bill, in that era, the the First states, Amendment, different religions, yeah, yeah, was not incorporated, and so it was not unusual for states, particularly Virginia, to have to have state religions, Maryland, and there was a different attitude about religion, where if you didn't adhere to a faith, you were kind of looked down on. It's it's strange that his his religious views are very similar to those of Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson is revered. Thomas Paine, who had many of the same ideas, maybe not so much. He sort of gets, you know, punched away from all that. When he returns to America, he's he's essentially ignored. He ends up dying obscure in poverty. And that's kind of the end of his story. Now today. History has been kind to Thomas Paine, but only so far. We all know common sense to to the degree that we, I hope we we know it. We know what it is. We know what it represents. But how many of us have read the rights of man, which you know is a condemnation of monarchies? How many of us have read his other writings where he talks about you know why he doesn't accept religion the way perhaps we do as well? And yet here's this guy that has these great ideas that we love, but his ideological purity means that we just sort of ostracize him and mm-hmm. make him go away. Well, which is it? Do we accept him for what, you, for what he is or not? And this is kind of what I'm talking about with, you know, the, the past has to be about the future. We see today people who have ideas that we love, but maybe their other ideas aren't quite as... 
ideologically pure as we want. And to me, it goes to the political divide in the country today. There are issues where Republicans and Democrats can align on a by-issue basis and be a powerful force and affect change. Yet because of the vast differences in other areas, they refuse to do it. And, and I've encouraged my audience, find a place where you have common ground with somebody, work with them on the issue, make it happen. Well, and it, you know, it kind of goes back to what Republicans used to tell me all the time. But Dave, you agree with us on 80%. Well, that may be, but it's that 20% that kind of matters sometimes. I mean, what are we disagreeing on might affect that. But at the same time, there is this element of, you know, we can get along with things, but if we're throwing people out simply because we disagree with them on one idea, you, you may be throwing away some things that are of value to you. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. what happens with Thomas Paine. Now, again, today we see Thomas Paine as a revolutionary hero. And we sort of ignore the rest of it. We just say, well, he died and, and later on, and that's the end of it. And that's unfortunate because much of the expression of his later works deals with what we were talking about in the first hour, you know, or the second hour, I guess, you know, this idea of freedom of speech. If we really believe in freedom of speech, why should we object to Paine's ideas about religion? If we really believe that. Freedom hold them, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And as Jefferson said, what difference does it make if Thomas Paine believes in, you know, no gods or one God or 20 gods? It's not, he's not picking your pocket. He's not breaking your bones over. He's not making you believe what he believes. He's trying to reason with you. He's trying to have a conversation. And we've lost that. The lesson for me is we've lost that ability to discuss those things. But when did we lose it? Probably back in the early 1800s when we were absolutely refused to have any conversation with Thomas Paine because while we loved his common sense, we didn't like the rest of it. And we continue in one minute on WMMB. These ideas, Dave, they've, they've persevered, they've lasted and influenced where we are today. Um, I'm not sure they have, Bill. I, again, we, we revere Thomas Paine for his common sense, but how many people even in this audience have actually read common sense? Yeah, probably few. Very few would be my guess. Mm -hmm. Do we even really understand these ideas that we say we revere? And when when you get into his other writings, the age of reason um, is his final book, which is the book that really got him in trouble where he outlines his, his religious views. I mean, it would be, you know, there were things that, have happened in our history where people were beloved and then they said something. It's almost like an early version of cancel culture in a lot of ways, Bill. He, he was great until he said something we didn't like. And then when he said something we didn't like, well, we ideologically, ideological purity tested him right out the window and forgot about it. And that just, he's the first time to go to Facebook jam. <laughs> if they'd had it, he would have been there. <laughs> to get to the phones, line one takes us to Mario in Cape Canaveral. Mario, good morning. Great discussion. Uh, Thomas Paine uh, was a child of the Enlightenment, and, uh, and the Enlightenment was, was part and parcel of, of, of uh, the Second Great Awakening, a Christian reawakening uh, that was sweeping sweeping this country and, and, and parts of Europe and so forth. And, and by the way, the, the French Revolution was a lawless revolution that was extremely anti-Christian, whereas 
the American Revolution was based on ideas of freedom that came out of, uh, out of well, the Magna Carta uh, came out of uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the Second Great Awakening, biblical ideas, and so forth and so on. And, and, and indeed, our Constitution is based on a lot of biblical ideas. Um, and and, and I, I think that uh, what, what he was doing was Thomas Paine. I think what pa- Thomas Paine was doing was reflecting a lot of ideas that were there, and he was bringing them together. And, 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 and I think that, that's where his strength was. Um, anyway, I think, this, I think you have to look at the, the entire Christian uh, basis of a lot of this thinking that was going on at the time in order to really get a good grasp of, of it. That's part of what got him tossed out, Mario, was uh, his differing views on religion. But Dave, what about the idea? How much of the American philosophy was he reflecting, as Mario suggested? Early on, it sounds like a lot. Again, you, you get into the Enlightenment era, and it is certainly true that he is a child of the Enlightenment, as were all of the founders and framers. They were all steeped deep in Montesquieu. Uh, we've talked at, at great length about their understanding of Roman history and those kinds of things. Certainly, that plays a role in it. But then you have this conflict of organized faith, let's call it that, versus what Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson proposed, which is more of a deist view of things and less less focus on organized religion. This, this conflict... Pain loses because the overwhelming belief at the time was, you know, you had to be a certain faith and you had to at least have a faith, even if you wasn't the the approved faith of a certain uh, church, like in Virginia, where the Anglican church was the church of the thing, um, Massachusetts, where you had to, to lean into the Puritan ideals. Those kind of things were certainly part of it, and he was bucking the trend. Would his views today be all that difficult to to absorb today? If you were to read The Age of Reason today versus 1791, would it be more acceptable today? But because we've already unpersoned him, because we've already canceled him, how many people are doing that? Outside of theology classes. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So as you look at this, you talk about history being about the future. What, what's the lesson we're going to pull from this? I'm, I pull a couple of lessons from this. One, ideological purity tests are complete and utter bleep. If, if, if you learn nothing else from Thomas Paine, learn that. If you're judging some an, an entirety of it, a person from one opinion that they have, you're missing the whole point, and you're going to you're going to rob yourself of the fullness of that person. If if you won't listen to anything else a person says because they've said one thing that you disagree with, how will you ever know that they're right or wrong? This is what free speech is all about. Discussion, conversation, consideration. If you can't have those conversations... When do you draw the line on credibility then? Well, he's already credible. I mean, you already have common sense, right? I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about it in general. I mean, there there are folks that you and I will not consider credible for whatever reason. But they've earned that, Bill. 
We've had uh, that okay. conversation it's with over him. time, right? right? We didn't just say, oh, this person said one thing that I disagreed with and I'll never talk to them again. We, right. People that have been, I wouldn't say excluded, but people that I don't necessarily like to talk to have earned that position. And I'm certain that I've earned it with other people and too. And had to work at it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm absolutely certain that I've earned that with other people too, probably in this absolutely. audience. So, sure. But at the same time, if you never listen to the rest of the ideas, if you never discuss those things, how will you ever have those conversations? How will you ever learn anything? And mm-hmm. this is the problem with a lot of history is, well, I don't like that idea, so I'm not going to pay any attention to it. Let me tell you what, I don't like communism. I don't like China, West Taiwan, as I like to call it. Don't like President Xi. But I can tell you last week, I learned something about Xi and Chinese history that has changed how I view things. Really? And that's what I talked about on my show this week. So you've got to be willing to listen to some ideas that are outside the zone. And if you're not willing to listen and learn, well, you're going to lose out. Speaking of Dave's show, we've got links for you at BillMick.com today on the show page. His show page is entitled Robot Racism. That was our first discussion of the morning. But links to uh, the Dave Bowman Show and to DaveDoesHistory.org so you can check those out as you get the opportunity. Thank you to Richmond Transmission and Auto Service. They made this hour of the show possible. Tomorrow, of course, a wide open Wednesday where you can bring us anything you like when you call the show or hit us up with the talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. Dave, quick primer next week. Any ideas yet? Oh, I haven't even, haven't even looked that far ahead, man. So we'll learn that as we get there. Have a good Tuesday. We'll see you Wednesday. <laughs> 